We are going to talk about stewardship. That's kind of been our theme. And for the next few Wednesdays, at least the next today and the next one, we're going to talk about money. So if you guys don't want to hear about tithing and things like that, feel free to stay home. Sinner. Okay. <laughs> no, I don't mean that at all. Hi, Gloria. How you doing? All right, right on. We're just getting started. So you're, well, you look ready for summer. Very good. All right. So we're going to open with a word of prayer. And then we're going to talk about money. Jesus, we love you. And uh, as as touchy of a subject as money can be, uh, you know, your son talks a lot about it. Uh, the word never shies away from it. And so we don't want to add to. We don't want to take away from. We simply want to explore your word and to know what it means to be a good steward of, of this thing that we have called money and what you expect us to do with it and how we can glorify Jesus with it. We give you the praise, the honor, and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so our main text is Matthew 6 and 24. And uh, I want this to always be at the forefront of our minds in this sermon series. Matthew 16 and 24 says this, Then Jesus told his, his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We have to always be cognizant of the truth that we are laying down our desires to pick up the desires of Jesus. Yes? Matthew 16, verse 24 and 25. So this idea of us denying ourselves is not just asceticism or denying ourselves for the sake of denying ourselves it's for the for the privilege and the honor of taking up what Christ is ready to give us um i think most christians uh and i'm overgeneralizing but a, but a lot of christians we settle for second and third and fourth best because sometimes we don't even know that what we're settling for is not the best we we simply look at the world and what they have and say i want that too and that must be the best because I want it, they have it, and rather than looking at it through the lens of Jesus, we just assume that's what we want to have and what we need. And uh, when it comes to money and possessions and, and things like that, if we aren't denying ourselves in a way that allows us to be free of what we're going to talk about tonight, which is mammon, the love of money, we're going to find ourselves in a world of hurt. Um, a lot of pastors and preachers don't want to talk about money. Sometimes for good reasons. Um, if you were in the church in the 80s, there was a lot of scandal around the church and around money. Um, pastors, and, and it's not just in the 80s. It, it's present today as it ever was. Men and, and women who literally fleece the flock and take from them and demand uh, that the people give so that they live a, 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 a lavish lifestyle that they will then teach you is a reward of faithfulness. Um, and so that that leaves a sour taste in some people's mouth. Some folks get caught up in it and and uh, try to live by it, but they find at the end that's that's not what God's word says, and they're being manipulated. And so it leaves a sour taste, and and very few walk away from that, um, not mad at God or Jesus or the church. Um, a few will will leave that and say, you know what, I was in a bad church, let me find a good church. But often many folks just they just leave because they've been swindled. That being said, 
Jesus, if you if you look at all the words of Jesus and add up the words and, and were to calculate how many words he spoke and how many pertained to money or the uh, giving away of money or the accumulation of money or how to treat money, some 25% of what he spoke about was about money in some way, shape, or form. So we can't we can't just hide from it, and we have to kind of take the good with the bad in this. We have to address what has been done uh, un un well just stupidly in Jesus's name, and then correct and go back to a lifestyle that that God has truly called us to through His Word in regards to money. Now, one of the reasons why we get this sort of mixed up in our own country is when we read about the Bible and we read about money. Our first instinct is the dollar, isn't it? Well, that's what we know is money. Dollar bills, $100 bills, $5 bills, coins, that sort of thing. But the Bible is not an American book. When the Bible was written, it was not referring to dollars and cents. It was referring to um, any, really any form of money. I, I believe that if the Bible had been too specific, it would not have been timeless as it is. So instead of speaking about a specific uh, dollar or a certain type of money, Jesus just talks about things like the love of money. Every culture and every uh, generation has their own form of currency. When you read the Bible, there are times where the the Jews dealt with something called the shekel. I was joking with my son today, asking him, you know, I, to identify different <laughs> different denominations of money. You know, what's a nickel? What's a depending? I said, what's a shekel? I don't know what a shekel is. Nobody's taught you about a shekel yet. Oh my gosh, I pretended it was an American coin, and I told him, no, it was something that the Jews used. Uh, it could be an actual stamped coin like we know, but often it was just a hunk of silver. You know, it weighed maybe an ounce or half an ounce. It would just be a, a little slab of, of metal, precious metal, that represented money. Then there's other times where people wore their money. You know, they'd have golden bracelets, and those bracelets would be their currency, and they'd carry them on their arms or their neck or whatnot. Um... Sometimes it wasn't even metal. Sometimes it'd be there are cultures who have used shells and there's cultures who have used other things. What what if your your line of work you don't get paid in money? What if you what if you're uh you know, somebody like Abraham in the Bible and all of your uh wealth is found in your livestock? Are the are this are the rules and the precepts about money uh, are you not excluded from them? No. That's silly. Um we run into folly when we see the Bible through the the American lens. We gotta kind of wipe that away. The Bible's not an American book. The Bible is is a book about Jesus. It's this redemptive story of of man through God's own Son. And so when it talks about money, um, what you find very often is a teaching that will transcend cultures. See, the same principles that we're going to live by have to be able to be applied to people in Africa who don't work 40-hour-a-week jobs, who don't have 401k plans, who who really don't have any food stored up for themselves, who don't live in a house and don't have a mortgage payment. When we, when we look at the Bible through what we experience, we miss what the Bible is teaching us. So what I, want, what I want us to do is to now turn just a few chapters back to Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to go to uh, what is known as the Sermon on the Mount, uh, one of the, the greatest sermons, if not the greatest sermon ever spoken. Um, Jesus is on a hillside speaking to 
his disciples. And he's got not only his 12 disciples, but he's got a multitude of people listening to him right now. He is preaching. It's early on in his ministry. And there are still you know, hundreds, if not thousands of people listening to him. Before the day and age of, of microphones and amphitheaters, he is just in the middle of this crowd belting out what, what it amounts to be the very first sermon we hear from him, at least written down. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But, verse 20, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, excuse me, darkness, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The King James Version says mammon. You cannot serve God or mammon. Mammon is that, that love of money. In, um, I believe it's in one of the Timothys, first or second, Paul tells Timothy, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people read through this too fast, focus in like a laser on the money, and say money money's the problem here. Money is the problem in this discourse. Paul said money is the root of all evil. And instead of finding what the Bible says, they make assumptions and then they try to live a life of poverty, assuming that that's what's most pleasing to God. Money in its proper context is just a tool in the same way that a hammer is just a tool. A hammer is a tool that does a job. Money is a tool that does a job. You know, often when we're working our jobs and we're earning money, we're earning that money not because we want the money. We want the stuff that comes from the money. We want the mortgage to be paid, the insurance to be paid, the gas in the car, the money for the car. We don't necessarily want the money. We want the stuff that comes from the money. It's a tool. When, when that tool then becomes our idol, things go bad. And Jesus says, do not lay, for yourself, lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. And so one bad teaching we got to get out of the way is that you cannot store up for yourself treasures on uh, treasures on earth some might use this to say you shouldn't have a bank account that you shouldn't save up for the future there are plenty you go to the proverbs you find plenty of scriptures lay up uh, wealth for your children and your children's children always have an eye out for your legacy and who you will be leaving uh, once you die and leave this earth who you will leave behind and how you will take care of them okay so the issue here is not laying up treasures okay the problem is where you lay those up and where you're putting your faith and your security. Jesus says, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth. And, and why is that? He answers that question. If, you, if your first question is why not, he, asks, he, he answers that question. Because everything on earth is fleeting, ending, dissolving. We have a banking system. You, know, you go to the bank and you'll see the little placard. What does it say? Every every uh, person who's a customer is insured for X amount of hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's the FDIC insurance thing. 
um, to ensure that whatever money we put here will be here regardless of the circumstances. You know, in, 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 during the Depression uh, in our country, people lost fortunes because their money became worthless uh, because the, the economic system of our country just failed. And so the FDIC was created to protect people should something like that ever happen again. Um, but truth be told, no bank, no hole in the ground, no mattress, no, no jar buried in your backyard is ever going to prevent your fortune, your, your, your wealth, as little or as big as it might be, protect it from everything. You know, for these folks, if their money was in precious metals, Jesus says, well, well rust will take care of that. If you don't, if you don't watch out, rust will come and take that away. And it says that that moths will, will destroy it. And if they don't destroy it, if the natural elements don't just destroy the wealth that you have, who will take it? Thieves. Thieves. True or false? There are thieves in our world. Yes. Sometimes we get to vote for them every four years. Boom. That's my political joke for the evening. Thank you. I don't get paid for the jokes. Um, <laughs> but, but honestly, we can do all these different measures to protect ourselves. And you know, you know what that does? I had a friend tell me once, all the, all the best locks do is keep out the honest people. The thieves, I'm not judging anybody. I'm not, you know, people, whatever their reasons are, whatever, uh, whether they're evil, destitute, I don't care. They will find a way to take from you what, what you might have. And so Jesus isn't saying don't don't have these things. What he's saying is don't have these things take up your heart. He says you can tell a man's heart by where he where he values his treasure. If it's the mason jar in the backyard, that's where his heart is. And that's who his Lord is. And that's who excuse me, that's who his master and Messiah and Savior is. But rather here comes the instruction, the, the teaching, and even, even the rebuke for those who find themselves in, in idol worship of, of money. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Now, this is the, the, the part where I tell you to sow a seed into me so that you will be blessed, so that you will get your pony, and that, that you will be shown faithful. Okay, that's, that's unbiblical. Okay, what I... We have to define what does it mean to lay up your treasures in heaven. Because honestly, as specific as that is, that's almost that's almost vague. What does that mean? Lay up your treasures in heaven. I don't I'm looking around the room. I don't think any of us have been there yet. Unless you guys aren't telling me something. We haven't been to heaven yet. But even if we could, my my understanding is that we won't be to heaven for for hopefully a few years. So laying up those things there, like what, what profit is it to us to lay those things up there? We have to be able to define what it means to lay up our treasures in heaven. We know what it means here. Put something in the bank. Put something in a 401k or, or an IRA. Put something, uh, you know, the coffee can under the bed or uh, the safe in your house. Or, or maybe it's just buying property or buying, uh, investing in things or businesses. That would be laying up treasures on earth. But what is laying up treasures in heaven? The first thing we got to understand is that there is a physical reality that starts and ends. There's a parable where uh, Jesus tells this parable of this man who's got great wealth and he decides, what am I going to do? I got so much stuff. I'll build new barn houses. 
And then God tells him, you're a fool. Your life's going to be demanded of you tonight, and tomorrow your, your wealth will be given to somebody else. Everything in this life, we can prepare as much as we want, but everything in this life has a beginning and has an end, with the exception of Jesus and his kingdom. The dollar in your pocket only goes so far. It will come into your pocket. It will leave your pocket. And there's a way to use it that glorifies Jesus, and there's a way to use it that does everything else but. And we want to, as Christians, as good stewards, use everything that we have been given to glorify Jesus. We have, as Christians, the responsibility and the privilege to be a part of the process of redeeming what the church has done to the reputation of Christ. Um, there are some who mock Christianity, and they always will. They, they mocked Paul, they mocked Peter, they, they mocked Jesus. There are certain people we're never going to please, who are never going to love us, and that's okay. They, they are people who Jesus loves, whom Jesus died for, and we hope that one day they find that, re, that redemption in him and in him alone. Okay, but but what has happened through controversy, through uh, the media that that focuses in on like a laser on the wrong things that the church church does, um, we now have this ability to show them Jesus through our actions and through our words. We can preach the gospel verbally, but we can preach the gospel through our actions as well and through deed. We have this great responsibility, and it starts with it, it can start with just how we spend and use our money and how we how we how we look at our money. You see, I, I look at Jesus' life, and there's a debate. He was really poor, he was really wealthy. And some will say, well, he had no place to lay his head. And then some will say, well, he had Judas, who was kind of like the treasurer of the group. And some will say, well, you know, he had this great robe when he died. And well, this and this, and they just debate back and forth. Here's what I've always seen with Jesus in the, in the short three-and-a-half-year ministry that we have uh, recorded in the Gospels. I see a man... You know, obviously God, but I see this man who was never controlled by money. I love the story when, when he has to pay the tax, and he tells Peter, go fishing. Peter catches a fish, pulls out the fish. What's inside the fish? A gold coin, the exact amount he needs to pay that tax. Now, I don't know a lot about fishing, but here's what I know about fish. There are certain fish that they see something flashy and shiny, and they hate it, they eat it. It's circle of life I, I i i like to speculate of how that fish got that coin in his belly if like maybe the week before there was a little kid he had a little coin he's on the dock and he's all excited and he drops it oops and then the fish comes along just sees it flashing and just eats it you know later peter goes out and gets the fish and there's the coin you don't see Pete, jesus losing his mind because he's got to pay the taxes all of a sudden you don't see a man who's going from neighbor to neighbor uh, begging for money. He just says, Peter, go fish. You don't see Peter knowing exactly what's going to happen either. Like Peter's a fisherman, but he's, he's probably thought to himself, I, I don't see how these two and two go together. I see a man who, um, when he's approached about whether or not he should pay taxes to the Caesar, um, the Pharisees tried to trap him. Trying to, trying to catch him in his words, and him saying, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, but render unto God what is God's. And, 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 and confounding the men of that day, and confounding even the men of our own day. I see a man who was never controlled by uh, an abundance of money, 
and was never controlled by a fear from a lack of money. From his own words, foxes have holes. The rest of it, somebody has dens. I don't know, you guys probably know it better than I do. The king has no place to lay his head. I'm paraphrasing. Jesus many, many times spent his nights in the wilderness by himself praying. You know, he goes into Jerusalem even the week before his death and leaves at night to go sleep in the wilderness because, honestly, Jerusalem was not a place where you just walked around at night, safely anyways. So he'd go outside the gates where it was a little safer out in the wilderness, be out with the wild animals rather than with the wild people. I see a man who, who, whatever the day brought, he knew that the Lord would sustain him and provide for him. And for me, that's my goal. It's not that I, it's not that I don't work. It's not that I don't look for ways to save money and to be frugal. It's not that I uh, overspend and get crazy with the money that I do have. I look for ways to steward what I have and then trust the Lord no matter what happens. Because there are times where bills come in, and maybe this has only happened to me, but you get a bill in the mail that you weren't expecting, and it's got a lot more zeros at the end of it than you anticipated. And you're like, Lord, this is more money than I make in X amount of time. What am I going to do? If I, if I could suspend every bill that I had so I could pay this one thing, yeah, maybe I'd get it done. But all these other people still want their money. What, what do I do? And I've learned that as soon as, as quickly as those bills can come in, those bills can leave. And what has been tested and what has been proven and what has been tried is not whether or not I had money, but how I responded to it. Did I respond in faith? Did I respond in fear? Did I respond by trusting the Lord, or did I respond by, by being like the world? With Jesus, you never see that in him. You never see him, you never see him worried. The only time we ever get a glimpse of him in any kind of, of, of what's the word I want to look for here, um, trouble. As when he's in the garden, he's getting ready to sacrifice his life for the people, for us, for our sins. That's the only time we see him sweating great drops of blood and, and ultimately saying, Lord, not my will be done, but your will be done. Money was never an issue for him. He needed a, he needed a donkey to ride in, and what did he say? Go to the people. Tell them the Lord has need of this donkey, this, this colt, this foal of a donkey. In a different day and age, I guess that's just what you did to get a donkey. I don't know. He needs a place to have the Passover. What do you say? Go up to this place and go to this upper room and tell me you have need of it for, for the Passover meal. There was never this, this struggle or this fight. Now, some of you, I look around the room, you're some of the hardest working people I know. And that's good. There's nothing wrong with hard work. But at some, day, at some point, you have to be able to walk away and say, I've done all that I can. I must trust the Lord for everything else. I only have 24 hours in a day. I've only got so many hours of that day that I can use to earn money. We, we haven't even talked about being a bad steward of money. We're just talking, about, uh, just talking about this love of money or this fear of the lack of money. A good steward glorifies Jesus no matter what the circumstance, meaning, meaning whether it's stuff or money or a spouse or children or a job or or whatever it is in the gospel, the ultimate end is how do I show that Jesus is everything to me? We have enough examples of Christians who, uh, by, by, by 
by word, claim Jesus is everything, and then go and begin to beg and uh, to not trust the Lord um, more than just – see, I'm trying to sk skate a thin line here – to just not rest and trust that the Lord will take care of the needs that we truly and genuinely have. I said this Sunday, and I believe it again today, um, that if the Lord takes you out of Egypt where there's abundance into the desert, you have to assume that the desert is better. You have to assume that if Jesus has brought you into this this season of uh, of being in a desert, that it was better than being with the leeks and the onions and the and the and the and the meat that you had in Egypt. That the that the the sparse the sparsity of life that you might be experiencing now, that with you and the Lord, this is better. Should they take your wealth? Should they take everything that you have? Should and and not even because of your foolish decisions, just because. The IRS wants more money or the job you get laid off from. You have to sit back and you have to, to, to safely assume, Lord, I'm in the desert with you. This is better than being anywhere. It doesn't mean it's going to be fun. You know, if you've ever had to live a lifestyle where your diet's primarily beans and rice, um, which for some that's, that's sumptuous fare. I, I agree. I really like beans and rice. But for some, that's a big step down. You know, beans and rice not the best but beans and rice with jesus is better than steak without him right that that's the mindset we're working towards that's what a steward a good steward is striving for but what about treasures in heaven we haven't even talked about that yet so what are treasures in heaven turn to first timothy chapter six and we have to be very careful here because instantly our mind, if, if you see where we're going with this, your mind's going to go one, one direction, and, and I want to make sure we stay on the path here, because my own mind does the same exact thing. So, so bear with me. Don't jump ahead too much. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 says this, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now, good works, do they get you into heaven? No, we all know that. Good works do not purchase for you salvation. However, what is a byproduct of being saved? Good works. The Bible says that we are called to do good works, not to earn our salvation, but it's the responsibility, the privilege, and, and the right of a Christian who has been purchased by the good works of Jesus to now go and do good works because of Jesus. For this uh, passage, first of all, we are, we are the rich here. Let's not... Um, Let's not look at the world and look at the Bill Gateses and the Mark Zuckerbergs and the and the Ted Turners and say they're the rich that the Bible's talking about. We we are I went over this a couple weeks ago. We have more than we need. That makes us rich. So Paul says that we are called not to put security in our riches, whatever they might be. We are not called to uh be miserly with them. We're not to be scrooges with them, to hoard them but to be ready to give them 
in whatever shape or form that we find before us. Now, I don't believe you have to manufacture this, and I don't believe that we should run from this. I believe that for each one of you, if there's an opportunity to give, the Lord will bring that person to your life, and then you will be tested in that time, whether to give or to not to give. But the passing of that test means that you are laying up treasures for yourself in heaven. And Paul Paul, Paul opens that up, opens up the word of Jesus in verse 19, so that you may take hold of that which is truly life. Jesus came to give life and life more what? Abundantly. That means the Christian experiences life unlike the rest of the world. For the Christian who has, has put his faith or her faith in Jesus, that means you experience life unlike the rest of the world. That means when someone gives their life to Jesus, you want to throw a party because you understand the magnitude uh, of the decision that person has just made. It means when you hear that somebody has, has died or been hurt, you feel it ten times more. You, you, it's as though someone's crushing you as you hear the account of it. it it's, it's, it's something that you have to process and take to the Lord as well. You have life and life more abundantly. Paul puts it like this, that you might take hold of that which is truly life. I've got, I've got really big hands. Not as big as John, but big hands for you know a guy my size. Um, I can hold a lot of stuff. But I know this, I can only hold a certain amount. And if there's going to be more to put in there, I have to let go of things. Often the Christian holds on to, gets the closed fists, and they do not receive because they refuse to let go. They refuse to just have an open hand. We get something, and our first instinct is to hold it and to keep it and to, to save it. And sometimes it's because we've lost and we're afraid to lose again, but sometimes it's because it's ours. And I was given it. It's mine. And we're taught that we can't pick up the life that Christ has for us with closed hands. You can try. It's not going to work. Open hands are the ones that can truly, that can pick up the true life that Jesus has died to give you. This, this is the life where you have peace in the midst of chaos. This is the life where you have joy when you have no business feeling joyful. This is the life that from time to time you conquer sin and you can rejoice knowing that the Lord has brought you through that. You can experience victories that are only found in Him. You can see past the circumstances. I was driving today, and um, this man cut me off. You guys ever have that happen? He didn't just cut me off. I was coming out of Walmart, and I can only turn right. It's the one going on to Route 5. And he decided, well, I'll come up alongside and go first. And I was waiting for traffic. I wasn't just sitting there doing nothing. I was, didn't want to pull. But he decided, yeah, I'm going to go. Okay, so then, so then I wait for the car, and then I go. I'm fuming. Ah, this guy. Who does he think he is? And then, then he's in front of me the whole ride home. The whole ride home. And it's 55 of the, most of the ride home, and he's doing 40. I'm like, oh, you're kidding me. Like, I was just, uh, oh. And, and I was so frustrated that this man was in front of me, and, and I was having really non-Jesus-y thoughts about him. And, and words we would exchange if we if we were to be face to face, 
and, and the Lord began to soften my heart. That's the only way I can describe it. I began to, to wonder if this man's only, <laughs> as silly as this might sound, what if, what if this man um, lives such a lonely life that these types of actions are what make him feel alive still? I might be way off base. I began to think about, he looked like an older gentleman. Maybe this is a lonely man. You know, maybe this is a man who doesn't have a lot to live for. Maybe he doesn't know Jesus. And it began to kind of soften my heart towards him. And then I'd look up and he'd be going 40. I'd be like, ah! And the process would start over again. My point is this. The abundant life that Christians have take you down those roads. You begin to see people differently. You You see the why behind what they do sometimes. It doesn't justify what they do. I mean, this man had no business going 40 to 55. That's just dangerous. But you can begin to see and have explained, oh, maybe. And then maybe I could pray for this guy. Maybe he needs something that I, mean, I take for granted every day, having a family around me and good friends to talk to and a great church to rely on. But he doesn't have any of that. And maybe... Maybe if he did, he'd probably still drive 40, but maybe he wouldn't pull out in front of me like he did. And, and maybe the, the, the cashier or the, the waiter or the boss or the manager, or maybe their life would be different if they saw Jesus and understood the life that they have for them, and they let go of their old life to pick up the life that, that is true life. See, when it comes to money, money's a tool. If you take money out of that box of being a tool, it generally becomes some kind of lord over you. When you understand that we are to steward it, and how we use it is a great indicator of where our heart is, you begin to understand who you really are. Because sometimes it's not the revealing of Jesus that we need, it's the revealing of ourselves and our true nature that we need. You know, sometimes we might talk a big game about things, and then something happens and it shows our true nature. You know, we... We say we have this great faith, and then some tragedy happens, and we do everything but go to Jesus. And so we find that our faith was mostly words and not really deeds. It might be something we believe, or maybe something that we professed with our mouth, but not something we truly believed in our heart. Those are great eye-opening moments. We can hide from those and run from them, or we can embrace them and say, you know what, that is who I am. I'm not as close a follower as I thought I was. And you can take that to Jesus. And, and I, I got to believe that the guy, the God who tells us to not lie, he's got to love us when we come to him in brutal honesty and say, Lord, I'm not who I thought I was. I'm not as faithful as I, as I thought I was. I'm not as, not as brave, as courageous, or as, as I've told people that I am. You know, now, that the bad, now that trials and tests have come, all I want to do is run away and, and hide, and, and I'm afraid you're not going to be there for me. And that's okay. So David did. So lots of men in the Bible did. David was a warrior. There was a song about David. How he killed his tens of thousands. It was like folklore. It was like a legend. David, this mighty man of God, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. You have to imagine that people who never saw David must have saw him as like this superman. You know, he's just a superhero that could just slay anybody. You got the story of the bear and the lion and Goliath, and he's just this superhuman person. And then you find him in a cave saying, God, where are you? 
This hurts. I don't know where you are. Is this going to happen forever? Is this my life? You know, one day some guy named, Saw, uh, named Samuel came to me and poured oil on my head. And I had the impression that, that meant good things for me. And now, now I'm in a cave running from Saul or, or later in his life I'm running from my own son who wants to kill me. See, if that's you, crying out to God is what you should be doing. Crying out and asking questions like, where are you? Are perfectly legitimate questions. However, I would encourage you to be worshipful as you do that. David ends things like Psalm 13, and Habakkuk ends his book with a song of praise. Basically, I don't, if we were to modernize it, I don't know how the economy gets better. I don't know what happens in Baltimore. I don't know what happens with Ebola, because that's apparently still a thing. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know about um, our government and who's going to be the next president because, quite frankly, they all look like morons. And I don't know who I'm going to vote for. Politicians are easy all day long. Uh, I, I just I just don't know how this gets better and what's happening with ISIS and, and Al-Qaeda and the Taliban. Like, we've forgotten about the Taliban. Like, they're considered like minor league now because we're dealing with ISIS. Like, I don't know what we're going to do and and what's happening in Iran and the border and, and, and just all this craziness and, and to modernize that it's it's the equivalent of listing off those things and saying you know what though you are still God and you are still good and you are still here and you are still ruling and you are still reigning I think that if you can go to the Lord and say Lord I don't know why this is happening and it hurts but I know that you are God and that you will see me through this in Romans 8 and 28 that all things work for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose I will trust that before I trust anything else I think that is being a good steward of the money that we have or the things that we have or the, or the possessions we might have and when you have that mindset the fist that's around the stuff gets a lot looser when, when, money, when it's time for money to go you're, you're, less, you're less fearful you're more filled with joy that I'm a part of something. This in no way guarantees that you will not be taken advantage of, unfortunately. There will still be people who lie to you, who give you a sob story, who will come to you for money because they've made foolish decisions, or need because they've just done something stupid, um, or will promise you the world, and then as soon as they get what they want, they just take off. Jesus said, don't lay up your treasures here on earth. Why? Because there are thieves. There will always be thieves. As long as Satan is around, there will always be somebody trying to steal from anybody and everybody. But a Christian can look to Jesus and know that God loves his children. And I don't think he takes it too lightly when his children are stolen from when when his children are from a good heart trying to help somebody and that person goes and and takes the money that you were giving for food and uses it for drugs or alcohol or some other stupid thing and i believe that there will be redemption and and and, and there will be uh justification in the lord's time not anything you'll have to do it'll just be the lord taking care of you every every person who takes advantage of you is taking advantage of a child of the king and they will have to deal with the king. 
Bible tells us to pray for our enemies. I believe that that's one of the reasons why. Because our enemies have to face our king. And we would hope that they would face him worshiping rather than um, in a vengeance situation. So the cost of this is being vulnerable. Because our series is the cost and the reward of being like Jesus. Being like Jesus means that you become vulnerable. It means that you're 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 kind of exposed. Where you wanna you know, if you ever see people and John, I'm not calling you out, when people start crossing their arms, often it's it's a um a sign of uh fear, protection, and they're not real happy. John, I know you. You have a cherub-like demeanor. You're crossing your arms because you're showing off your guns. I know it. Um, but often, that's what this means. And so, having to let that down, it's the opposite of being vulnerable. It's being protected. Being vulnerable is, is opening up. But being vulnerable means that you're going to take shots. You are. But our faith... If you read Ephesians chapter 6, what is our faith? It's our shield. The fiery darts are coming. We're not going to stop the fiery darts. The enemy's got a whole quiver full of them. He's going to shoot them all. And he's going to make more and shoot more. But we have our weapon. And what is our weapon? The shield of faith. And the helmet of salvation. And the feet shod with the truth of the gospel. And the belt that girds the something of the something. You know, look it up. I can't do all the work for you. Come on. And then prayer. Praying. Seeking the Lord. Telling him these things. This is being a good steward. The reward? The reward is you get life like nobody else. You get life in HD. You get life like... Have you ever had to go... You know, we look. I go to the, the Target and Walmart and you see the big TVs... And do you remember when TVs were like the size of a refrigerator, if you wanted a really big one? Like, they were massive, and now you go into these thin things that don't really weigh that much. And and it's just, if you go from these newer TVs where it almost looks like live-action people are like cartoons, like so fluid, like the, the, the picture processes faster than our eyes can even process it. And you go back to like an old tube television, 13-inch with the, with the dial. Like it's like, whoa, who could ever live like this? Like that was, back then that was everything. But now it's like, how could you live like I was, we were, we were walking in Target today and Ellie saw a TV. It was like a 26-inch TV. And I looked at it and compared to the 50-inches TV, I was like, yeah, it's, it's, she, was, she thought it was so cute. It was so small. And that was like almost twice as big as any TV I had as a kid. But right now I'm saying that's that's small. I remember having the 13-inch and the 19-inch, and we thought that was really – and, like, we'd sit, like, halfway across the room with it. Just watch who's the boss. And it was way over there, and that was all we had. When you go across a threshold into a new life, you look back and say, how could I have ever done that? When you cross that threshold into following Christ, you look back at that old life and say, how did I ever live like that? How did I ever – how did I even survive that? What foolishness I got into. What stupid things I thought and believed. And yet the Lord redeemed me from it. 
And now I have life and life more abundantly. Now I have life that is unparalleled in the rest of the world. It, it's, it's the life that truly every person seeks and desires. And for some, they, they fulfill it with good works. And for some, they fulfill it with, with jobs and um, philanthropy. And some pursue it by gaining wisdom. Some gain it by uh, having sex. Some have it by drinking or doing drugs. Or some have it by um, being mean and spiteful. And some look for it in those avenues only to come up short every single time. We have in us eternity. We, we understand that it, life goes beyond this. And some are seeking for that, and God bless them. We want them to find Christ, and we love them. And some are rebelling, and God bless them. We want them to find Jesus and love them too. But we have found this in Jesus. This is what you have. And, and, and Jesus died to give that to you. What a great privilege and honor it is to be considered a child of God. It does, not, it does not make life easy. It just gives life purpose. It means this, is all, this isn't all a waste. Paul says if Jesus is not resurrected, then we're worse off than anybody. Eat and drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die. It, but Jesus is alive. And because Jesus is alive, we can now rejoice and say, you know what? This desert, one day it ends. And then we go into, if you read the book of Revelation, to a place that's pretty awesome. I don't, I'm not talking about the golden streets and all this other business. I'm sure those are going to be great. I love the no tears. I love the no pain. I love God being, I love that we will be connected to Jesus in a way that we've never experienced. That we will see him face to face, the book of 1 Corinthians says. We will see him as he, we will know him as he is to be known. And that will be forever. And, 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 and this life will be nothing. And we'll be with folks that have gone before us. And we'll just, we'll just live worshiping the Lord. And, and I, don't, I can't even fathom that. Do you understand that? I don't even know what that looks like or feels like. But it's got to be better than this. Amen? So let's pray. We're going to pray. We want to be good stewards. And so we're going to pray that the Lord would... If there is any um, fear, if there is any um, hesitation to this, that the Lord would, would give us baby steps. You know, some folks want to go full bore. God bless you. But some folks, this is baby steps. Well, okay, I've got to, it's like learning to walk all over again. Um, well, then we're going to pray for that. Right, let's pray. Jesus, um, it is hard to look at money in the way that you prescribe in your word, not because it's unclear, um, but because it goes against our human nature. For us, especially in our culture, money means something. It could be the difference between status and power. It could be the difference between being heard and not being heard. It could be the difference between um, fear and faith sometimes. And I'm not saying this is right, Lord. I'm just saying this is how it can be for us. So help us, Lord, to hear the words of your son Jesus in Matthew 6. To, to not only lay up for ourselves, uh, or, or not, not to just lay up for ourselves treasures here on earth, where moth and rust can destroy and thieves can steal, to not put our faith and trust in that capability of what we can accumulate, but to instead do good works. 
knowing that Jesus has purchased for us through his cross our salvation, that our that our freedom has been bought through him, that our, our peace has been bought through him. And now, no matter what man can do to us, whether that man is is the IRS or or bills or just life in general, that you will always, always, always take care of your children. And even when life becomes like that desert, where money is barely trickling in and food is not as abundant as it once was and and friends have seemingly left and and life is 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 just not doesn't have many of the luxuries that we're really accustomed to Jesus help us to look at that desert and know that you are with us Lord I I don't judge the Israelites for for their grumbling and looking back at their former life I know that that's me unbridled I know that's me that's my nature too if I if I'm left to my own devices but Lord I'm thankful that every time that I've ever thought that we would not quote-unquote make it that you've always shown up in some mighty way that you've always used someone or something to to get us through to the next step that we indeed have never had to beg or steal or connive or, or, or come up with any kind of a story to, to gain the confidence of people that you've always taken care of us, that we can, we can operate like that all of the time, that we can work our jobs and we can use our talents and, and earn our money, but at the end of the day, trust you when those, when those limited resources reach their limits. Lord, help us to steward not just money, but our faith and where we place it and our trust and our heart and where we put that as well. Lord, we want to steward our hearts well. We want to steward our faith well by placing it in you and in you alone. Jesus, we love you. You have done something for us that nobody ever has. And you've done something that only you can do. And I thank you for that. Help us, Lord. Whether we whether we try to leap or just take baby steps, help us, Lord. And may you be glorified. Your word says that as Moses lifted up the serpent on the pole, so must your son be lifted up. That, that the lifting up of the name of Jesus, that's how men are drawn unto you. Help us to preach the gospel, even in how we use our money. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.